as we worship this morning, what a, what a wonderful promise that is, that we forever belong to God, and there's nothing that we can do. If we, are, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, there's nothing that we can do to lose that. And what a, what a precious promise that is for all of us as we worship the Lord today. Well, we are in week four of our series that we've called Advancing the Gospel, and as we talk about um, this ministry expansion project, we've been unveiling it over these five-week series, and we've had, you've heard quite a bit so far about what God is doing, and really what we're looking to do is take the mission of our church, which is to advance the gospel by making disciples who make disciples, and to just strengthen our ability to do that as a church. And that's what this ministry expansion project is all about, and we are excited that we have a guest speaker with us this morning who's going to talk about one aspect of what we believe God has called us to for the future of our church, and that is to, to go in and become a church planting church. And in, you've heard in the last couple of months that um, we believe and we've asked, been asked to by the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America, to target um, Trenton and to really look at the people of Trenton, that there, there's a desperate need for Jesus Christ. And that's the area that we're targeting, and we're going to hear about that this morning with a guest speaker that we have. But as we talk about this ministry expansion project, just to give you an update, last week we had our congregational meeting right after our second service, and the congregation voted to approve um, the Advancing the Gospel ministry expansion project, and it was an overwhelming vote in favor of proceeding. So we want to thank the congregation for for getting behind this. We look forward to what God is going to do. And now that the vote is in place, I was teasing our building team. I said, you know, now that it's in place, they were telling me that we'll have the building up in the next three months. But um, not quite. It's probably going to take about two years. Um, is this an estimate or a guess on how long this process will take? But um, we're looking forward to um, what the ministry that can take place when we do expand the building. But also as to highlight next Sunday, uh, May 17th is the day that we're collecting the intention cards in the worship service. So I want to give you that reminder. And also this week, please, um, if you're single, um, be praying. If you're married, be praying together and talking together about what is it that God is calling you to do financially in the course of the next two years to financially support and make this happen. You've heard that you know, Pastor Tom and myself, we've talked about through these sermons the last few weeks, what does it look like to be a generous disciple of Jesus Christ? And if we believe that God is calling us to take this significant step of faith, we need to be praying as well about how financially we're going to be supporting what we truly believe God is calling us to do here at Bible Fellowship. And then on May the 31st, two weeks after that, is going to be the first day of giving. So just as a reminder, next week, next Sunday the 17th is the day to bring in the intention cards. Please bring them in in those sealed black envelopes. Um, that is not something that we as pastors want to see. Uh, we, don't, you know, we don't know who gives what again, so bring them in sealed. We'll collect them. And then we can start giving on May the 31st. It'll be the first day for giving to this. So we look forward to what God's going to do there. But I mentioned that we have a guest speaker this morning. He's all the way in from San Antonio, Texas, um, Dr. Alex Mondes is here. He is, um, his title is Director of Immigrant Mission with the Evangelical Free Church of America. I um, had the opportunity to spend some time, dinner yesterday with him and last night, and uh, just a wonderful guy that God is just using in a great way. Um, in the past, he started up a ministry that was, he was the founder of a ministry called Immigrant Hope, um, just dealing with reaching immigrants in the United States with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He has a passion for church planting. He's, he's started numerous churches himself. Um, he'll be able to give you a little bit of information on that. But under his tenure with the Evangelical Free Church, over the eight-year period of time, there went from having 35 Hispanic EFCA churches to, through church planting, and the number is now up to 180 across the nation. And um, so he's going to be working with us over these next couple years as we look into what does it look like for us to reach the community in Trenton. Um, it is Mother's Day, and Alex is all the way out here without his lovely wife. He is married. Um, his wife's name is Julianne, and they have five daughters, and we can be praying as well. He has seven <laughs> grandchildren, all under the age of three. So, um, you know, he's... Um, He'll be flying home this afternoon, so he will see his wife today on Mother's Day. But you know what? You also made him help feel welcome here at the church, because I, I laughed with him. He's looking around at 11 o'clock this morning. The place was fairly empty, and I told him, I said, don't wait. Just give it about 20 minutes. And um, he's like, Bob, I'm Hispanic. <laughs> so um, he knows what that is like. So anyway, we want to give our welcome to uh, Dr. Alex Mondes and thank him for coming in. 
Have a good Mother's Day. Oh, my goodness. Yes, um, Mother's Day and women have been very, very important in my life. My uh, mother raised us five boys, <clears throat> so it's a major joke of God, which I love very much, that he gave me five daughters. Uh, at one time, I was living with my mother, my wife, five daughters, two female cats, a female dog. There was a fish, and if I could figure out, but I was willing to put down good money that it was probably a female fish. I've learned even how to speak a little bit of woman. My, my, uh, my daughters kept saying stick to man because I was using the words out of context. <laughs> Want to hear one word? Fine! <laughs> I was raised by my aunts, so for me, uh, there's a great appreciation. So Mother's Day may be today, but uh, thank God for women in our lives. Right, brothers? In fact, Israel, uh, just in Israel and Jerusalem, they just planted, they not planted, they just uh, dedicated the first church that was dedicated to the women who helped uh, Jesus in ministry. It's called the Mary Magdalene Church, which is really, really cool, and I can't wait to go see what it is, what it looks like, but uh, uh, thank you so much for everything that you do, and I don't think that the church in general gives women as much credit for everything that they did uh, to further the, the ministry and the kingdom of God. Um, and certainly I wrote my wife a letter this morning, and I look forward to being with her. Uh, my five daughters were born within five years and three months. <clears throat> so when anyone questions my credentials of a Hispanic all I have to do is say, look what I did without even trying, even two at a time. <laughs> we, had, uh, we had five daughters in five years, five weddings in four years. So I told my daughters I wanted 30 grandchildren in, in three years. and <laughs> They missed the mark. We found that uh, Norwegian and Hispanic is very flammable. My wife is from North Dakota. So uh, we have a very cross-cultural experience. And it's good. It's good. Uh, what I want to talk about today is secondarily about church planting. Church planting may be the result. What I want to talk about today is uh, being on mission with God. Um, seeing, seeing what God is doing, having our eyes open to what he may be doing. I, by nature, I'm not a patient person, uh, which is kind of weird for a Hispanic. I mean... I think my mom ruined me, uh, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I'll tell you just a little bit. She would come late. To and if you're a Catholic, you know that when they hold the host up during the service, if you get there be when they hold the host up, then check, you get to count that as in. And that's where my mom was aiming at. You know, she, she had all of us there, and of course our church was kind of a vibrant Catholic church, and so the only places that were available were the front. So, yeah. <laughs> You've been bad. <laughs> so think of my mother walking into the Catholic church in her high heels with the, the five of us following her like little ducks. And she's click, 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 and the priest stops. You know, sit down, Mrs. Mandis. You know, she had no compunct, no... I got them here. I'm here before the host goes up. Uh, big, large family. We would have our family reunions. It was 300 people. Um, but when I got saved, I just, while I may not be a, a very patient person and I'm fastidious about being on time, I've learned that the right time is God's time. Not before, not after God's time. One of the other things I've really learned in that is to take the time to look and to see. Um, my daughters were all in San Antonio last week. Uh, 18 months ago, they all looked at the calendar, and Dad's going to turn 60. We all want to be there. As they looked at their calendars 18 months ago, they said, May 1st, even though my birthday is on May 19th. And they even suspended Easter. Easter. 
Nobody's going to do Easter. No. So we came to San Antonio. They did Easter service, Easter songs, Easter ham and asparagus, Easter egg hunt. I mean, only five Latin women can tell God when he can raise from the dead. But one of the things that I think is is very, very important for us to do is sometimes step out of our culture and our time and to push back from everything that uh, is who we are and and try to get a picture of what God is doing. And that's not easy to do. That's really not. Uh, Sometimes it's like stepping out of the water we swim in and and asking God to show us. Uh, I think a lot of times the real need of the day is for vision. And we talk about vision a lot, but, you know, Proverbs 28, 29, 8 uh, gives us that famous verse, um, without a vision, the people perish. And there's a lot of talk about vision, but the kind of vision that suspends what we're thinking and, and, and labors, labors to see what God is doing is incredibly necessary. There are things that make it even harder for us to do that. So things may be happening in our country, things may be happening in our laws, things may be happening in the world. And sometimes our culture, our language, the things that we're going through as a nation just cloud our whole vision. I want to play a little video for you all that will give you a little bit of an idea of something that maybe has been going on in the background, and maybe you've seen some of it, maybe you haven't. So um, I want to go ahead and roll that video, and then I'll talk a little bit about it. You know, I really like this music. Can you jack it up a little bit? A little bit of what we're having in our country is the whole issue of immigration is just kind of weirding everything out. You need to hear from me so I can say at one time, people who are here illegally are breaking the law, no doubt about it. 
And I think people need to live by the rule of the law. However, I believe that the Great Commission and the Great Commandment is not negated by people who are breaking the law. We need to share the gospel. We need to love them. If they can become legal, let's accept them. If not, we can send them back as missionaries to their own country. But one of the things that this whole immigration thing does is it, it makes us sometimes superimpose one vision and mission over another one. What we're missing is that this whole issue of immigration is not an American issue. It is a global issue. The world has now grown to such a place when you push a button in one place, it pops out in another. A famine in one country affects another country. Wars, famines, catastrophes, in one way or another, cause a splash that re re reverberates into other areas. And it's not just America. In fact, Europe is going through the same issues. And they're going through the same contortions. And what we, we need to step back and see, maybe there's something going on that's beyond politics. Maybe there's something going on that's beyond economics and sociology. Maybe God may even be at work in this. I'm not saying that God is the author of evil or lawbreaking. What I am saying is that God has used migration issues in the past even to save the conquerors. Do you know how the Vikings were won? Not by missionaries that went to them. It was the young women that they took, raped and pillaged. And these young ladies went back to that country and shared the gospel. What the Vikings wouldn't receive through missionaries, they heard to the people they vanquished. You never know what God is going to do. Sometimes he may pick Abraham up and move him to another place to be a blessing. Sometimes he picked up Israel and took them to another country, migration and immigration, to purify them and communicate to them something about himself. We need to be understanding that God is at work, sometimes in ways that we may be even missing. And it is the history of the church to sometimes miss that boat. If you're a student of history, you understand that while the gospel may have started in Jerusalem, and then it went to Antioch, not by choice, it was the holy huddle being broken. You know, the first megachurch was in Jerusalem. 3,000 people would come to Christ in a day, 5,000 another day. And the Jews were very, very happy to be the holy huddle. God had always told them, go. But it wasn't until persecution came, boom, they went out. And all of a sudden, Antioch started coming to Christ. And then you start seeing uh, the seven churches in Asia. You see Carthage. You see Alexandria. You see the gospel moving up into Europe, Rome, Spain, England, Laredo. And yet, I wish I could tell you that everywhere the lamp of God stayed bright, but it didn't. The evil one followed the progress of the gospel. Jerusalem went dark, Carthage, Rome, Europe. While there was this bright light, little by little it starts to go out. Why? Why, why, why was that that if Matthew tells us the gates of hell will not prevail against, against the church, why is it that the church loses its lamp? I think there's one simple answer. We start to believe that the mission is about us and fail to see that God wants to reach the whole world. Sometimes we get comfortable with the church. Sometimes we keep on developing wonderful programs. And at first, I'm sure they're all very, very good. But sometimes we fail to see that God is bringing some strangers, some odd people close by, and we don't see them. I, wanna, I wanna, want you to turn to your Bibles, and I think I have the passage up here. I want to give you an, a great example about how even the Jews didn't see it. See, the Jews were on the northern part of the country and the southern, and right in the middle was this place called Samaria. 
Samaria were the, 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 the non-Jews, the semi-Jews, which in some ways were even worse to the Jews. And they hated them. They hated them. They couldn't even talk to them. They would call them the dogs. Jesus was going from one part of the country to the other, and any self-respecting Jew would not go through Samaria. But Jesus went through Samaria. He got to Sychar, and he sent all 12. Almost sounds like an Aggie joke. I'm a Longhorn, so the Aggies, it's a Texas thing, forget it. So he sent all 12 of the disciples to go get Spam, mustard, and white bread. They don't want to go there, but Jesus told them. Why? Why? Was it that difficult? Was it so they could protect each other's back? No. It was because he wanted to talk to one lady. And if one disciple had been there, they would have ruined the whole thing by their looks. The Jews, you see, hated the Samaritans. Now, I want you to understand, there was actually cause for a misunderstanding of why they would not like the Samaritans. I mean, biblically, theologically, they were told, don't intermarry with them, be ye separate from them, don't eat their bacon, don't eat their catfish, don't eat the shrimp. All of those were, were, you are the chosen people. But you see, the Jews kind of turned the knife a little bit. God may have said, you're the chosen people, but he didn't say, they're not the chosen people. He didn't say, I don't care or love them. And so they had this thing going on in which they selectively did not see, and part of the reason why was maybe they were focusing more on them, but they didn't see what Jesus could see. This passage is very interesting. I mean, if you're in seminary, baby Greek is the first thing, John, you translate, because it's so simple, so profound, it's not hard. So, I mean, I could translate this for you from the Greek, but it's very simple. It says, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Lift up your eyes and look. What was it they were not seeing? Was it that they were walking around with their eyes down? Or was there some sort of a filter, some sort of a bias that may have been accounted for a little bit in terms of the history and the context, but they didn't see what Jesus saw. So he sent them away, and Jesus talked to this woman. Verse 10 is is a profound verse. In fact, it's the outline for almost the rest of the chapter. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, who, you would ask and he would give you. In fact, that's the outline for the rest of it. Right after that, they start talking about the living water and eternal life. And then she says, well, are you a prophet? And, you know, the conversation goes on and she asks, Finally, she gets it, but she gets it about the same time that the 12 guys start coming back with the spam, mustard, and white bread, which sounds good to me about right now. And it was fortuitous because I'm sure if they had been there, the conversation would not have even happened. While they brought back staple foods and left the whole village there, The women went back over there. Now, I want you to also know that in this passage is also one of the most corrupt versions of the gospel I have ever heard in my whole life. This was her gospel. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's it. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, I have pondered this, and I was, why the... why the effect? Why, why did the whole city come out? And I, I come up with two options. Option number one, they wanted to know who was this fool that didn't know everything this woman had ever done because everybody knew who'd had her. I mean, five husbands, who knows how many boyfriends. So these guys, these guys were either amazed 
that there was someone who didn't know about this woman or they saw transformation. They saw the transformation and they wanted to go see. I opt for two. They came back with spam, bread, and mustard. And with a simple corrupt gospel, I'm kidding about corrupt, but probably not what we've learned. She brings back the city. What they should have done, but what they couldn't see. I think what we lack nowadays sometimes is, uh, is vision. And I'm not talking about mission, vision, strategy. I'm talking about the ability to stop, look, and go where God is at work. You see, people, I think, too many times are, are quick to implement the model or, or to look for the latest strategy or what is, what's going on. But the mission is still there. A lot of times we just don't see it. The Jews were always there and the Samaritans were always around them and they were always trying to stop them. And it wasn't just about the Samaritans. I mean, the, the disciples didn't even want Jesus touching the children. When you look back at Europe and you see the death of the gospel and the hardening of it, you ask yourself, why? I think what happens a lot of times is that there's a fire in our life, there's a, a fire in our area, we, we start planting churches, we start enjoying the benefits of the gospel, it becomes corporate, it becomes inculcated, it becomes a system, a religion, a job. And it dies because it becomes about us. And I believe even in those areas, people were moving around, moving into Asia, moving into different areas, but the churches couldn't see those people because too often, birds of a feather want to flock together. But God always has had a passion for reaching the world. And so then I think sometimes people start Hating those people that are different. That's not what you have. I'm here with you guys. I'm excited to see what God may be doing. I want to be there to dream and visionize with you. But let's talk about why should we plant a church? There's good legitimate questions. There have been people that have asked, even through time, why should we be planting churches? Aren't there enough churches already? Let me give you some statistics to help understand that. In the year 1900, there were 28 churches for every 10,000 people. In 1950, there were 17 churches for every 10,000 people. In the year 200, there were 12, there were 12 churches for every 10,000 people. Now there's eight or nine churches for every 10,000. Proportionately, there are less churches. Not only proportionately, we have, of those churches, churches that might as well have their doors shut, that are not on mission with God, that are not believing in the Bible, believing in the virgin birth, believing in the deity of Christ. And I feel myself believing anathema. Just close the door then, because you're confusing people who are looking for Jesus. But who am I? So, People say, well, why should we plant churches because there's already a lot of churches? The other reason people say, why should we plant churches is the ones we do have aren't filled. And that's, that's a very good question. But the fact of the matter is that sometimes there's no accounting for where people move. And sometimes the right kind of churches aren't there for the right kinds of people. And it needs to be contextualized, put in the right place. The style of music the language of the preacher, the strategy for reaching those people. Tim Keller says this, one of the things that we like to believe is that what we need are more crusades. And I've been part of the Billy Graham crusade. I've been the captain of evangelism. And yet for all of that effort, for all of that work, only 2% of people that are saved are saved at a crusade. Lots of money, lots of effort. 
But church planting, according to Tim Keller and uh, Lyle Schaller, says that there is nothing more effective in terms of evangelism and in terms of building uh, communities than church planting. So while we need, do understand that there are fewer churches, we also need to be understanding that they've got to be in the right places, contextualized for the right people. And it is the most effective strategy. So the question then comes from that, well, why are new churches so effective? One of the things that we need to understand is when you plant a church, you get to decide where you want it. And let me just give you a little history story. For example, in, uh, in World War II, World War I, the French got the snot kicked out of them, and they lost so many men that what they said was, this will never happen again. So what they did was they built this big wall. I forget the name of the line of Mion or something like that. And what they, what is it, brother? That's it. And so they built these thick walls and battle emplacements and places for the soldiers to stay at. And they were immovable, but they were, they thought, impregnable. When the Germans came the next time around, it was not the same war. They had tanks, and they went through the forest. And so a lot of times what happens is we're preparing for the last war. What we need to be doing is keeping our eyes open and see what's actually happening. So we may have great churches in the wrong places. Great churches that may be working with an old strategy. So a lot of times, one of the reasons why new churches are effective is we get to start from scratch deciding where should it be? Who should it be with? Another reason is that the new churches can be more relevant for the community. Maybe they don't want contemporary music. Maybe they want music that has drums and congos. Maybe they want music that is different. Maybe they want a preacher that, that, uh, that is, a, is of a different accent or something like that. So when you start a new church, you get to exegete the community, not just the text. The other is they're hungry. Yeah, they are. So many times we think, well, these new people aren't. But, you know, one of the things they say about planting a church is almost in a mechanical sense. Find a place that's growing. Find a place where there may not be many churches of the kind you want to put, and they will grow. That, yes, but also making sure that it's what you want it to be. Here's the other thing, the reason why churches are, are very effective, plant church planters. You get to empower the leaders. Now, I'm going to be 60, but I think it's vitally important that we take young leaders. Now, at my age, anybody's mostly younger. But, for example, I discipled a young man who's 23 years old when I took him on. He's 27 now, and essentially I'm giving him one of the other ministries I started. When I started discipling him, everybody said, you made a big mistake, what are you doing? It's in our nature as older people to be cautious It is in our nature because we know where we failed years ago to say, don't go there. But sometimes younger people aren't smart enough to know where they shouldn't go. And maybe where we went 10 or 20 years ago is the right place now. And they have the energy to do what we couldn't do. So we older can partner with the younger, the strength, with the wisdom. So when you plant the church... You empower the younger leaders, but you don't go away from them. Neither do you throw all the roadblocks up. You empower them. You train them. You encourage them. And you will be surprised how God can do some things that you thought that dummy would never make it. I was one of those dummies that people thought wouldn't make it. Not only do you empower the leaders, but you empower the attendees. Wonderful church like this probably has so many other people that could step into roles of service, but because so many people will step forward, which is a good thing, not a bad thing, but sometimes that second and third level of people that would be empowered by serving don't step forward because there's other people, or maybe 
they haven't been there as long, and so they feel like they've got to pay their dues before they have that chance. And yet, in a younger church, they have the opportunity, not the opportunity, the requirement to step up, and they get to see God and trust Him as they work. So new church planting is, a, is, is effective because you get to pick where you're planting it. Second of all, it's new and relevant. Third, they're hungry. Fourth, it empowers the leader. And fifth, it empowers the attendees. They don't sit back and wait for those who are paid to do the work. But what about the effect on the church that sends off? I mean, the, the money, the leaders, the, the elders that are lent... Uh, not necessarily because we're all doing it the same way, but it becomes, in some ways, a cost. And so some churches say, that's a lot of money, or we're giving up some of our prime guys, young and old, some of our prime ladies who know how to do different ministries, we might not ever recover. The fact of the matter is that in studies, they find that churches that plant in two years recover everything and more. Why? Because there's an excitement and enthusiasm about being on mission with God. And people go out and start saying, we're doing something. We're doing something. It furthers the kingdom of God and it energizes the body. It's important to understand. But um, let me give you why seven reasons why I think we should church plant. There's a strategic reason. You see, I think when it comes to church planting, divide equals multiply. By that, I mean when you send financial resources or when you send some of your people. It's not division in the terms of the church planting, but it is multiplication because all of a sudden you have begun another congregation that has your same vision even if it has a different accent. And now you have these two congregations that are tied and related but going at the same mission in different places. There is a biblical reason also because you see that clearly happening in the scriptures. I told you about the example in Acts. But if you read on in Acts, you see them planting churches, planting churches, planting churches. Church planting is a biblical reason. Thirdly, there's a co-missional. It's a fulfillment of the Great Commission. It is a fulfillment of the Great Commission. Wherever disciples go, churches go. Fourthly, training. Training. Some of you all here have taken Gateway, a program that I started a few years ago. When I started it, there was hardly nary a training unless you had gone to seminary. Now, in six years, there's over 1,200 people that have gone through Gateway. And all of a sudden, when we start tracking where we've done this training in America for the Evangelical Free Church, we start finding churches being planted around. We've kind of gotten things backwards in the sense that we think our seminaries decide who is gifted and called. No, 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 no. God decides who is gifted and called. Amen? But we have the opportunity to partner with God and equip and train. And so the church then, one of the reasons why we plant churches is because we also are training people and want to train people. Fifthly, it is the most effective evangelistic effort. All of a sudden, when you plant a church somewhere else, those of us who may have been very rather comfortable sitting become some of the best evangelists telling people around our community, We've got a church over here. Maybe we wouldn't have said it before, but all of a sudden, since it's on us, we all of a sudden become empowered, required, desired to go and tell our friends and neighbors about this cool church that we're starting over there. The sixth reason why we should is because it's missional real. What I mean by that is we, we, we sort of get into these things where we, we do missions way over there, which is good. We do missions way over there, but the rest of us don't get to see it until someone comes back and they tell us about the cool things that God did through their lives. But when you church plant, it's not that far over there, and the rest of the body of Christ, this church, gets to go see and live out some of that mission 
in our own neighborhoods. And it gives them an, an enthusiasm for the mission of God, even if it's only 10, 15, 20 miles away. The seventh reason, and I think the most important reason why we should church plant, is because we're never more spiritually alive than when we're on mission with God. And I want to say that individually, and I want to say that corporately. This is the most selfish reason for church planting, and I'm for it. Let me explain that. My mother uh, was uh, living in Laredo, and uh, she had had a stroke and was starting to fall down. My mom was a very humorous, humorous lady. She said, I'm not falling down. I'm doing research. I'm writing a book. How to fall down and not get hurt. <laughs> so we sold her house. We sold our house. Moved her in with us. After a while, it got to be a burden because she got cancer. But we worked and we loved her. And she kept on saying, I'm, I'm being a burden. I'm being a burden. And I finally had to say, okay, Mom, I'm going to tell you the real reason why I want to take care of you. It's called the fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother and your days will be many and full. I want the blessing of God. Call me a Jacob who would wrestle with God until he was blessed. And I think, I, I want, I, there's nothing I want more than to be in that middle river where God is flowing. Brothers and sisters, we got 70 years and then we're out of here. The Bible says some more, some less. Get that, remember it, number your days. Because this is not everything. This is kindergarten. This is preparatory. One of the names of God that really enthralls me is when he is called the, the watcher of men. He's watching us. He's empowering us. He's giving us resources to see what we will do now. To see what we will do now. Enjoy life. Enjoy it together. But remember, what we consume on ourselves is gone today. But what we send forward is a treasure that lasts forever. Brothers and sisters, we are on a mission. And we are never more alive. We are never more corporately or individually energized and empowered than when we say to God, yes. And sometimes yes is not comfortable or easy. I want to throw this verse up here and I want to show you one other thing. Now, I'm not, I want you to hear me saying, I'm not saying ignore your church. I love this church. I think it's important that we keep our churches healthy. And so what I'm not saying, is, I'm not saying go out of here and go start learning Swahili or Spanish or French. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there's two harvests out there, according to this passage. And I saw that just a while ago. See this passage where Jesus is uh, rebuking the disciples who were giving the woman a hard time? He says here, there are four months and then comes the harvest. But I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that are white for harvest. You see, whoever you are and however God has made you, Relish and enjoy that. My wife is not Mexican. I don't want her to pretend she's Mexican, even though she makes good Spanish rice. I love to vicariously understand the Norwegian culture through her. We make disciples easier, and we plant churches easier when we understand and work in our culture. But what God is saying here is that there's another harvest, but I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. There's something going on that's beyond what is our normal, technical, theological, sociological culture. 
and God is at work over there and doing it. All we have to do is open our eyes and take that harvest. It takes courage. It takes vision. It takes patience. The biggest problem some people may have, good people, is they run too quick. In the role that I have as the National Director for Hispanic Ministries, um, I said it's just impossible. There's no way that this can be done. And the Lord gave me a wonderful passage. It was in John chapter 5. And uh, Jesus had uh, just healed a man. And they brought him up for the charges, and they asked him, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And in John chapter 5, I think Jesus gives us uh, our roadmap to success, effective ministry. He said, my father is always at work. I look to see where the father is at work and only work there. The father loves you, and he will also show you where he's at work. That's my roadmap. That is our roadmap. I think we expend way too many resources, even by zealous good intentions. We need to understand that this church thing is God's thing. Amen? And what we've got to do, rather than coming up with our strategies and our blueprints and our one, two, three, four, is first take the time to pray. Take the time to look. Take the time for God to show us where's the right places to push in. Sometimes I think people are, are so ineffective even though they have the right heart because they jump in too quickly to do what they think is a good idea. And they totally miss the fact that God was already at work. We need to join God. We don't need to ask God to join us. Amen? And we will never be more effective, more on mission, more blessed, and a blessing to others than when we look for that channel where God is at work and flow there, and flow there. Brothers and sisters, be selfish and zealous. Like Jacob, to look for the blessing of God. Fight for it. Fight yourself for it. Remember, we're here but for a short while. We're here for a short while. We don't have time to waste by being ourselves. Corporately, individually, pray. Look for that right place. Don't incorporate a strategy. Find what God wants you to do. May God bless you in that. I'm excited to see what God will do. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for... <laughs> even this church now that is talking about this. Lord, there's a lot of little churches in Trenton. There's a lot of churches who, Lord, are not preaching the word of God, do not understand discipleship, and are doing their own thing. I'm, I'm not saying that they're all like that, but Lord, there's always room for one more church that's on mission with you. Father, all the good that you have taught this church by their stewardship, by their training, by the DNA that you've put in them for reaching the world, I pray, Father, that you would give them the wisdom to wait, to see. And then, Lord, when you show them the courage, the courage to do that. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Happy Mother's Day, sisters. God bless you. See